Father, we thank you that this is a time that we can pause in our busy schedules to once again listen to your word. We thank you for the privilege again that your word can be open, that your word is readily available for us to open, to expound, to think. But Father, we just want to pray also that your Holy Spirit will take control of the next few moments. Guard this preacher from error, but also work in all of our hearts that you may prepare our hearts so that we will be fertile to receive your word that's being planted into our hearts. Father, tilt our hearts, that our hearts are ready to receive your word, that we will be more and more like your son, and that we will be less and less like the beast of this world. Give us hearts that lean towards you and what it means to be truly human. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a pastor, let's just call him Pastor John. One Sunday morning, Pastor John preached a glorious message on Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Pastor John preached his heart out regarding the passage that we need to we need not be discouraged in our walk with God. Why? Because we have a cloud of witnesses, including our deceased grandparents, uh, the best preachers like Martin Luther and Charles Adam Spurgeon, the best biblical saints like the Apostle Paul and the prophet Isaiah, and, uh, and most importantly, we have Jesus, the cloud of witnesses cheering us on, looking down at us and cheering us on. Pastor John thought he had hit the home run with his message and he was really happy with the outcome of his sermon. However, after church, while he was having morning tea with the, with the congregation, a lady by the name of Mary stopped him. Mary said to Pastor John, Pastor, I want to unenroll myself from heaven. Excuse me, Pastor Johnson, unenroll yourself from heaven? Well, she said, after your message, I don't want to go to heaven anymore. Can you please tell God to remove my name from heaven's book? Pastor John was stunned. He had been in the ministry for more than 30 years and nobody has ever told him that they didn't want to go to heaven. Why, Pastor John asked. I'm very troubled, Mary said, by your sermon. Because if Hebrews 12 verse 1 is correct, then you can count me out from heaven. I don't want to go to heaven and look down on earth and see my granddaughter suffer in a car accident, let's say 10 years from now. I don't want to look down from heaven and see my grandchildren contract cancer Years from now, I don't want to look down from heaven and see our family business uh, being run down by uh, some friend of ours. I don't want to look down from heaven and be worried. I have enough worries in this life. I don't want to go to heaven having to look down on this earth 
and worry. So please take me off the registers of heaven. If you were Pastor John, what would you say to Mary? If heaven really is no more than people looking down at, the, at this world and grieving, how can Revelation chapter 22, 21 verse 4 be correct? Where Revelation tells us that heaven is, no, is a place whereby there is no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. How do we reconcile the two passages of Scripture? I think the reason why we feel angry or hurt when our loved ones are in danger is because we often view life from our imperfect perspective. But in heaven, we will see things from God's perspective. We will begin to see Romans 8.28 in action. How every event whether it's tragic, good or bad, work together for the good. We'll begin to understand how suffering leads to holiness and how it leads to the glory of God and how it leads to our ultimate joy. We'll be able to see first from God's perspective how God uses all these things and be able to still rejoice even though we're looking down from heaven and seeing the sufferings of this world. The problem with many of us now is that we see life from our own sinful human perspective. And because we don't see life from God's perspective, we get easily hurt. Because we are imperfect, we are short-sighted, we only see things from how it affects us and our comfort and how it affects uh, what we think as of good rather than what God thinks as, of, as good. So it's very important, therefore, to have to see life not from the perspective of us human beings who are sinful, imperfect, short-sighted, but to see life through the perspective of God. Because when we see life through the perspective of God, of how God works things out for His good, for His glory and for our good, then we are able to rejoice even in, when circumstances are hard. This is the lesson that God is trying to teach us here in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 happens during the time of the Medes and the Persians. The Persians particularly were very serious people. They were very serious people when it comes to two things. When it comes to punishing others, and they were very serious at play. They were very serious, firstly, at punishing others. The Persian had learned from previous empires that many empires fell because the rulers were not strict in disciplining those who were rebellious. So when the Medes and the Persians came into power, they were very strict in setting up laws of punishment, lest people rebel against them. But they were also very creative in terms of metering up punishments. We have records, for instance, of King Darius, uh, one of the Persian kings, who discovered that a Persian judge was, uh, had betrayed him. Rather than just killing him, King Darius was pretty creative in metering out his punishment. Rather than just killing him, he skinned this judge piece by piece of his uh, skin. 
and with his skin the king made a chair for the judge to sit on as more skin is being taken off him and making up this chair. Talk about cruelty. The Persians were not only serious in punishing others, they were also serious in terms of entertainment. They loved to eat. You don't have to look very far than the Book of Aster, for instance. The Book of Aster was also situated in the time of the Persians. How many feasts were mentioned in the Book of Aster? Mind you, Aster only has 10 short chapters. How many feasts was mentioned in the Book of Aster? 10. 10 feasts in 10 chapters. The Persians love to eat and be entertained. Now we come to Daniel chapter 6, which is situated in the time of the Persians. Here in Daniel chapter 6, we meet two groups of people. The first group of people is group 1. These group of people see life out of their own selfish, sinful, imperfect perspective. Who are they? They are the administrators and the satraps. Satrap is simply an old Persian word which means a protector of a province. They are the little princes. So in this chapter, we meet this group of people, the administrators and the satraps. So let's look at Daniel chapter 6 at verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to see him over all the kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could not find they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. The administrators and satraps saw that Daniel saw Daniel from their own sinful perspective. So what happens when we see life through our own sinful perspective and when we see others better than us? What usually happens? They felt anger. Why are these Jews, why is this Jew called Daniel better than us Persians? They felt jealousy. And they felt that Daniel was promoted by the king. Why was Daniel promoted by the king and not them? So what did they do? The satraps and the ministrators turned into lions. They decided to tear Daniel apart. What is most interesting about, these, uh, about this chapter is that the administrators and satraps then began to act more and more like lions. If you know anything about lions, you know that lions never work alone. They always work in groups. A group of lions sometimes is called a pride of lions. So they began to huddle together to attack like fierce, ferocious lions, Daniel. So what, what, do, we, what do we read here in verse 6? So these administrators and satraps went together as a group. Verse 6 tells us they went as a group, just like lions were grouped together. And they went to the king. What did they want the king to do? They want the king, they want to trap Daniel so they can get rid of Daniel. So what did they say to the king? Let's look at verse 6. May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict 
and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's dens. Lion's den. These administrators and satraps were so typical of the ancient Persians. They were very creative in their punishments. They wanted Daniel to be punished, but they didn't want him just dead. They were so creative, they wanted Daniel to die a terrifying death, to be thrown into the lion's den, kept there overnight so that the lions were pounced and mauled Daniel, ripped him slowly apart, devour his flesh until there is nothing left but bones. How creative. But that is the danger. When we see life from our own human perspective, what happens? We become ferocious lions. When things don't go our way, we become angry, we become jealous, we want to pounce on people who get the upper hand and we want to tear them apart. We become lions. I remember the time when I was a pastor of a small, of a troubled church. It wasn't a small church, but it was a troubled church. Many years before I came, the church was already divided. There were groups of people who were opposing groups of people. And uh, one time, um, I heard that there was a group of people that was really, that was angry with the deacons of the church. And since it was a Baptist church, they could easily come to a congregational meeting and vote out the deacon and the pastor if they want to. So this group of people were pretty angry about what was happening in the leadership of the, of the church. Instead of working things out the leadership, they decided to do a secret ambush on the leadership of the church. They decided to ambush one of our congregational meetings in order to vote out the leadership of the church. When I first knew about this, it was just a few days before the congregational meeting. When I first knew about this, I quickly called the chairman of our leadership board. His name was George Healing. George Healing has since gone to be with the Lord, but he was a godly man. A godly, godly, godly man. So I called George and I said, there are people in our church who are ganging up and they are coming like a pride of lions to our congregational meeting to vote out our leadership team. Shall we tell the church and gather our people together so that we don't get outvoted? Oh, George looked at me, paused for a moment, and simply waved his hand and said, These people are acting out from their own sinful human perspective. We have not done anything wrong as leaders, and we will not act out of our own sinful human perspective. If they want to use politics to vote the church out, let it be. But we are not going to fight lion to lion. We are going to place things in God's hands. I thought that was just one of the most godliest moments I've ever experienced as a pastor when your church leader tells you 
Let's not view life. Let's not view church from a human perspective and tear others down like lions. God never created us to be animals. He created us to be human beings reigning over animals. We are much higher than animals. Let's not be animals. And that's the danger of viewing life from our own sinful perspective. And that's the perspective of group number one. Let's look at group number two. Group number two, of course, belongs to Dan. Daniel was part of this group. Instead of ganging up with his friends, Daniel could have said, Oh, these satraps administrators, they're ganging up. <laughs> they're going to the king as a group. Let me get my friends and let's uh, fight them. No, no, no. Daniel was very much like George Haling. He decided to leave things in God's hands. Even though the administrators had all ganged up on him, Daniel continued live as usual. So we read in verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel! Are you serious? Aren't you afraid of the creative cruelty of these Persians? Are you naive? But Daniel seems to be doing life as usual. But I also want you to notice the way in which Daniel was praying. You know, if I were Daniel and I knew that a group of people were out there to get me, the lions ready to tear me apart, what would I be praying? I would most likely be praying to God, God, please zap these men <laughs> who are fighting against your purposes. Zap them with lightning. Lord, kill these satraps and administrators before they lay your finger on your servant. But that's not what Daniel prayed. Look with me here at verse 10. What did Daniel pray? Daniel prayed and gave thanks to his God. In such moments, Daniel still could still give thanks. Why could Daniel still give thanks during these moments? Because Daniel was not looking at life from his own sinful human perspective. But Daniel was looking at life from God's perspective. Daniel had seen how God is far greater than human beings. And Daniel is going to tell, him, tell us from, Dan, from Daniel chapter 7 to 12. What, what it means to see life in God's perspective. Daniel had seen the mighty power of God in chapter 7 to 12. And he, he has seen how God is far mightier than King Darius. Come on, King Darius is, 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 is a joke compared to God. Though he was the king of the Persian Empire, he was trapped by the laws that he himself set. He wanted to save Daniel later on in the chapter, but he couldn't. And verse 18 tells us that when he couldn't save Daniel, he, was, he couldn't eat and he refused to be entertained. Those are the two things that the, the Persians loved, to be entertained and to eat. 
But God is not crippled by these circumstances. In fact, a chapter later, Daniel is going to tell us that God is the one who has authority over all nations, not just the Persian Empire. But God's kingdom is not just vast and majestic, but it lasts for years and years and lasts into forever. The Persian Empire, though great as it was, only lasted how many years? Less than 200 years. But Daniel is going to tell us in the next chapter that God's kingdom will last forever. Daniel saw the vision of God and saw what God could do. And he no longer saw life from his own sinful perspective. He saw it from God's perspective. And that's why he could still give thanks when there were lions trying to tear him apart. Because he knew that all of these things will pass. God will rescue him because God is far mightier than the king of Persia and all these satraps administrator. But it's not Daniel that had this heavenly perspective in life. There were also the lions. Look with me at verse 22. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, what happened? Daniel tells us what happened. My God sent, in, sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. Even the ferocious lions submitted to the great power of God. Even the lions became more human-like than the humans, the satraps and administrators. Is it significant that even the lions submitted to God? Yes, it is. Remember in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel tells us that God is about to set His kingdom, that God's about to set up His mountain, and His mountain will be where all the peoples of the earth will gather, and that His kingdom of the Messiah would come. What is one of the first few signs that the kingdom of God is already in our midst? Isaiah chapter 1 tells us very clearly that when the Messiah comes, the ox will return to its master, the donkey to its owner's manger. That even wild animals will submit to the great power of God. They will begin to see life even through God's perspective and they will come back to the maker. That's why it's no coincidence that when Jesus first came on earth in Mark chapter 1. Mark tells, gives us a very interesting detail in Mark chapter 1 verse 13. That when Jesus was in the wilderness, Mark chapter 1 verse 13 tells us that Jesus was with the wild animals. Why does Mark give us this tiny detail that Jesus was with the wild animals? It's in the fulfillment of what Isaiah saw. That when the Messiah comes, even the wild animals will return to its creator in submission. And here even the lions returned and were more hum humane than the humans themselves. They returned and submitted to God and God's purposes. What does this have to say to us? We can either look at life through our own sinful perspective that will only lead to anger, jealousy, hatred and turn us into beasts and turn us into lions. 
or we can be like Daniel and the lions and look at God life from the perspective of God, of how powerful God is and how transient this life is, how, how good God is and how able God is to protect and lead us even in these troubled times that we can trust in Him, that even when the people are about to tear us apart, we can still give thanks because we know that our God is greater. We can either be in the first group or the second. Tim Keller, the co-founder of Gospel Coalition, once told a story that's worth repeating. He once told a story about an eight-year-old boy who discovered one Sunday morning that his baby brother had been playing with his toy train and his baby brother had inadvertently broken the toy train. The eight-year-old saw, when the eight-year-old saw his broken toy train, what does he do? He gets extremely upset. He begins to pulse and he begins to cry. He wants his toy train fixed immediately. He wants his baby brother punished and he wants everything to go on, as it were, with the toy train still running and in perfect condition. So let's suppose that this time the boy's father comes in and tells the boy, son, 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 stop crying. Your grandfather has left you a fortune of a hundred million dollars. Will the promise of a hundred million dollars stop this little boy from crying? No. Because hundred million means nothing to this little boy. All the little boy wants was his toy train. He wants his toy train back. And all he cares for is for his toy train to be fixed. He couldn't care less about hundred million dollars. Who cares about hundred million dollars? Will that hundred million dollars bring any joy to the little boy? No, no, no. He will still be pouting. He will still be crying over his toy train. Why? Because he does not see the value of a hundred million dollars. He does not understand that a hundred million dollars can buy him millions of toy trains. And many of us are like that. We see life from our own perspective, just like this little boy. I just want my toy train, my toy train is wrapped and I'm angry, I'm jealous, I'm willing to tear people apart. But God in fact has given us much, much, much more. It's that we don't understand what God has given us because we never see life from God's perspective. If God gives you a hundred million dollars, what's the point of crying over a broken toy train? If Daniel has seen what he has seen in his visions in chapter 7 to 12, how great and mighty God is, and how God can rescue and destroy evil in such mighty ways. Who are these satraps and administrators? They are nothing to God. They are nothing. God could have destroyed them immediately. And I think that's why, even in the midst of a human zoo, Daniel could still give thanks to God. Let's Give thanks to God, even when we are living in a human zoo and when people are ready to tear us apart. Why? Because we have a greater vision 
our God is with us. Father, we come into your presence and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can pause our time to listen again to your power and to what you can accomplish. Father, we thank you that you are far greater than the circumstances sometimes we feel trapped in. You are the God over all creation. You have lasted through all kinds of wars and upheavals and you will last for all eternity. There is nothing too difficult for you who are satraps and administrators to you. They are nothing. So Father, help us to fix our eyes upon you, to view life from your perspective so that we can have joy so that we can be filled with thanksgiving even when there are others ready to pounce on us and to tear us apart. And Father, may we have that heavenly perspective so that we will not turn into lions when things don't go our way. Father, I pray for anybody listening to this sermon right now and you're facing a hard time and things are not going your way. Do not turn yourself into a lion. God is far greater than our inabilities. He can handle that. Give thanks to God because He can handle all our circumstances. Give thanks. Trust Him. Be filled with the joy that comes. Father, we thank You. We thank You for the book of Daniel. We thank you that we can study it. And as we looked at Daniel chapter 7 to 12 in the next few weeks to come, Father, we pray that you will enlarge our minds, that you will open our eyes to see life from your perspective. In Jesus' name, Amen.